Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hi, my name is Roger. I grew up in a small town where we attended church and I was baptized when I was nine. My parents divorced. My mom moved us to the big city, Phoenix. We moved several times and it was hard being the new kid in school. When I was in the eighth grade, I started hanging out with the kids that were into drinking and smoking weed. As I got into high school, my habits got worse. I dropped out in my junior year. When I was 25, I was driving under the influence of heroin and cocaine. I got into a car accident that killed a young girl. I spent 10 years in prison for this. Shortly after my release in 1999, I got another six months in jail for a DUI charge. I finally realized I needed help. I did the AA thing for a couple of years and got sober, but there was still something missing. In AA, there was a saying, we have a daily reprieve based on our spiritual condition. So I thought maybe I should try church, and I did. I recommitted my life and asked Jesus into my heart. I believe that God made us with a place in our hearts that only he can fill. I also became part of the Celebrate Recovery program at that church and went through a divorce as well. I stayed faithful to the Lord through this because by now I knew that God had a plan for my life. He took the desire to drink and use drugs away and gave me the real desires of my heart. I now have an awesome wife that loves the Lord. I volunteer here for Saturday service and I've been part of prison fellowship for the past two years. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone, the new is here. No matter what you've done or where you've been, God loves you and wants the best for you. I'm living proof of that. Thank you. Real people whose whose lives are, uh, you know, the, it's not your your typical thought of a of you know church people. And that's why we do these life stories because we want to show you that the power of God to transform lives is like no other. And as he said, as Roger said, it, wherever you've been, wherever you've come from, redemption is possible. But it's only possible through Jesus. The guy who wrote Amazing Grace, his name is John Newton, was a slave trader in the 1800s. A terrible guy. A terrible guy. And along the way, he found Jesus. And when he got to the end of his life, in his early 80s, on his deathbed, he explained the gospel this way. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Jesus is a great Savior. And you get those two things right, you get it, you know? You get it. Tim Keller, 
puts it this way. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And so as we step into this area of marriage and what marriage looks like in our series, Ringleaders, that we're concluding today, we have to approach the other person that we've married through the lens of the gospel. The only way our marriages are going to work is if we approach the other person through the lens of the gospel. What does that mean? It simply means that when we get married, we recognize that we're taking another person into our lives who is more flawed than they would ever dare believe, no matter how much you might try to point it out to them. They're more flawed than they would ever dare believe, but yet we can love and accept them more than they would ever dare to hope. And I say these things because these are things that we don't really hear. This is not the approach to marriage that most people have, but that in and of itself is living your marriage through the lens of the gospel. But it all starts with commitment, and commitment takes courage, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So I have Ryan Williams up here today, and Ryan is an art teacher at Desert Edge High School. Ryan is a very gifted artist, actually. In fact, the city of Goodyear has commissioned him to develop a series of portraits that they will turn into banners and are going to be hung on the streetlights all over the city of Goodyear. It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So you may want to get one of his autographs, and you may want to purchase one of his paintings because they may be worth a lot of money someday. Maybe after he's long since dead, because that's usually what happens with artists, so sorry, Ryan. But in any case, it'd be good for you. But when Ryan approaches a blank canvas, he has an idea in his mind of what he wants it to look like. And he can stare at that canvas for hours on end. And he can wish for a certain outcome. But it takes a certain amount of courage to grab a brush and grab a color and begin to mark that thing up. Because as soon as he marks it up, he's committed. As soon as he puts lines across this canvas, it's going, it's happening. And it takes courage because you close off all of the other options. You paint a picture of a landscape, you're not painting a picture of a motorcycle. You paint a picture of, you know, two people, you're not painting a picture of a sunset. You're committing to something, and there's a certain amount of courage that it takes to say, this is it. Because you can have all the possibilities in the world in your head of what you wish it might be, but until you actually put the paint on the canvas, you still have nothing but a blank canvas. And many people will live their lives afraid to commit because they don't want to put that first stroke of paint on that canvas because they're afraid of closing off their options and they're afraid of what it might become. And so they live in fear as opposed to taking the courageous step of just starting to make something that has substance, that has beauty, that tells a story that is unique in and of itself. And it takes courage to do that. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. 
there was a controversy in the day of Jesus that basically centered on the issue of divorce. There were two camps and kind of headed by gurus. There were a lot of gurus back then. And a lot of people, guys that people would follow. And one guy would say, when it came to divorce, a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason he wanted to, as long as he basically just said, you know, gave her like a piece of paper and here you go, you're divorced. And so if she, if he didn't like the dinner, if she burned dinner, or if she went to the salon and came back and her hair didn't look very good, whatever the case is, he'd say, you know what, I'm done with you. You're out of here. Now, that was one school of thought. And legally, meaning under the Mosaic law, this is Jewish um, culture here, these, this group of people said it was okay. There was another group that said, well, you really shouldn't get a divorce, but you can if um, she commits some kind of sexual um, infraction, you know, like there's adultery or something like that. So that's really the, kind of the only grounds. And, and yet, the, so there was a lot of debate about what was moral in the eyes of God when it came to divorce. And so it's in this context, as Jesus is teaching, that some of the Pharisees come to question him. And they were always trying to pin something on him. They were always trying to get more dirt on him to accuse him of stuff. And so they were trying to lure him into a certain camp so they could um, sow seeds of doubt about him to everybody else. And so they come up to him in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. And they, it says they came up to him and tested him. They tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus' answers were always brilliant because he didn't take the bait. He was very good at taking the question and using it as an opportunity to make his larger point. And so he says this, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now don't miss the sarcasm and the condescension in that response. We often think he's just, you know, Jesus is some guy with like a, you know, British accent or something and never cracked a smile, you know. Have you not read? You know, no, no. He's like, hey, have you guys ever heard this verse that, what God, that in the beginning God made a male and female? That would have been incredibly condescending and incredibly sarcastic to a group of people who have known the entire Old Testament by memory since they were 16 years old. These were the smartest, most well-educated, and most high-powered spiritual people in the whole area who commanded all kinds of authority over people. They, were, they knew everything about the Old Testament. They knew everything about the book of Genesis. They would have known that probably by the time they were nine years old. They knew the first five books of the Bible by the time they were nine. The entire Old Testament by the time they were 16. And so this verse that Jesus is quoting would have been like, you know, the easiest thing in the world. But he's being saying, don't you guys, have you guys ever heard that verse? It, it's a good one. It's a good one. You should check it out. That what happens is God created the male and female and, um, and puts them together and makes them one flesh. What is he doing here? He is appealing to nature. And he's appealing to creation. And he's saying, if you just open your eyes and look around, you'll see that God has made men and God has made women. And he's made them with compatible body parts, as we talked about last week. And he's made them to be able to come together and all you need 
for, the, for humanity to flourish is a man and a woman. Because from a man and a woman, you have a family. You have a legacy. You have a heritage. You can build an entire nation out of a man and a woman. They have the capacity in and of themselves for human flourishing all over the place. And this is the way it's been from the beginning. And then he gives them a little jab. Because he knows what's going on in here. He knows why they're asking the question. He says, therefore, what God has put together, don't try to separate it. In other words, these guys, these clowns are coming along. And they're trying to look for a way out that morally justifies them still so they, don't be, aren't, they aren't seen as sinners. And they can feel good about the fact that what they really want to do is they don't really want to commit to one woman for their whole life. But Jesus is saying that God is hardwired into creation the concept of lifelong commitment. And so what he says is, And if I could sum up what he's trying to say, and I put this on the screen, lifelong commitment in marriage is God's plan to bring incredibly deep meaning and fulfillment to human relationships. You have a man and a woman with complementary skills, complementary ways of looking at life. You know that that's the source of our greatest joy and oftentimes our greatest fights as we just see things totally differently as men and women. But we have the capability when we come together to have incredibly deep and meaningful and fulfilling relationships with each other. And by the way, when I said um, human relationships, not just the male-female human relationship, but all relationships, relationships with children, relationships with neighbors, relationships with the community, because the family, the husband-wife relationship, predates every other contract, every other social structure in all of human history. It's before there were villages, before there were tribes, before there were towns, before there was anything, there was a man and a woman. They are the source of everything. And the source of that unity or the power of that unity, the power of that commitment then sets the tone and the understanding and the paradigm for how everybody else around them functions when they see them and understand them. So when the children grow up in a home where mom and dad love each other, there is a strength there. There is a security there. There is a peace there. There is a structure there. And so that sets the tone for how all other societal relationships function. And Jesus is saying that was God's plan to bring them together and So don't you guys look for ways to bust that up. He was striking right back at them. Now, of course, we know that marriage today is oftentimes seen as an unnecessary thing. Especially, and it seems very scary, especially when it comes to to a lot of men. A lot of men are very afraid of marriage. Because they've, they've, you know, we've seen, they've seen themselves, you know, get taken for, in terms of divorce. Now you got to pay all this money and, and it's, they said, man, I married this girl, and then she took me for all I had. Now I am just I have to have all this money I owe her every month. And so marriage has a very bad reputation in many segments of our society, and it's seen as not really necessary anymore as long as you just love a person, right? But it's very interesting. I was listening to a podcast called The Art of Manliness. If you've ever been on The Art of Manliness website, men especially, if you have it, you should. It's really good. It's not a Christian website per se, but there's a lot of Christian-themed stuff on there. It's pretty cool. And so I was listening to this podcast, and the guy was, um, Brett McKay, was interviewing a guy named Brad Wilcox, who's professor of sociology at the University of Virginia, and he's the director of the National Marriage Project. And this guy was talking about um, how when they've actually do studies, 
they notice certain differences between men who choose to get married and men who choose to kind of remain single or just kind of live with their girlfriend and don't really ever marry her. And what they reported in their studies was that men who are married report being happier, making more money, having a higher quality sex life, and even living longer. Now, I know some people go, well, higher quality sex life? Come on, man, how can that be? I mean, one woman for like 30, 40, 50 years? How can that be a higher quality sex life? This would be the one thing a lot of guys would push back against. Because, come on, isn't variety the spice of life? I mean, shouldn't you be able to, you know, just get with this girl and that girl and that girl? And he, so he, what he says in the podcast is he says, you know, when two people are stuck with each other and they're committed to each other, then they have the time and the incentive to learn how to make each other happy in the area of sex. And over time, they learn what each other likes and that kind of thing. And so they know each other really, really well. And that, that relationship grows and develops and becomes much more qualitatively good than just some gal you can pick up at a bar who doesn't know you from anything, who you have no experience with, and who has no idea who you are or, or the things that you love or whatever else. And so because of all of these years that you've been with this person and the investment in that relationship, you get this incredible reward that even re results sexually. But it goes even further than that. Because a lot of people will say, well, come on, isn't marriage just like living together but with a piece of paper? I mean, do you really need the piece of paper? And this is conventional wisdom, and people say this with such a smug kind of look on their face or with such condescension or with an air of like, of course this is true. Of course all marriage is is just living together, but now you have this piece of paper from the government. And he goes on to say, no, 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 this isn't true either. He says, because when you make a commitment, it changes the whole nature of the relationship, meaning... When they interview people who live together and they ask them, can you, can you report when you started living together? Usually they'll have dis disparaging answers. One party will say, well, we started living together and they will, they will reference when, you know, she started staying at his place like three, four nights a week. Well, that's when we started living together. And then he will say, well, no, we started living together when I moved all my stuff into her place, or whatever the case may be. And they report different times of when this relationship or when their cohabitation began. Contrast that with marriage, which is an entirely different concept where it's very clear of the date. One of the most important things is in a marriage is what? The anniversary. So guys, you got to remember that. It's very important. If you forget that, you're in trouble. Why? Because we know that's when the family was established. So I know on June 13th, 1998 was when our family was established. Wildly different than an arrangement where a man and a woman choose to sleep in the same uh, house together or live in the same home together. But not only that, marriage forces you to ask different questions. When you get married, you start asking questions about like, man, what do we value in life? What do we hope to get out of this? What, how many kids are we going to have? What, what are we going to do about in-laws and, and family and, and vacations? And, and where, where do we want to, what kind of home do we want to have? And, and what are we going to do about um, maybe spiritual things? This is when couples will often ask what they believe about God because the whole thing is it's supposed to last until somebody dies and then the kids are going to come and they're going to want to know and do we raise them in this kind of home or that kind of home? And there's all these questions that pull you out of the immediate and bring you into these large picture whole life kind of scenarios and you're forced to grow up. 
you're forced to think about larger things. You're forced to, to put together a family. When you cohabitate, you don't have to answer any of those questions. It's because there's no sense of, this, is, this isn't going anywhere. In fact, we, we hope we don't have any kids because that's going to really complicate things. Not only that, but when a woman gets engaged over the weekend and she comes back to work on Monday morning, what does she do? She shows off her ring and she says, look what happened over the weekend. And everyone, all the other ladies come around and they're like, oh, this is so great. And they, they celebrate and they're so happy for her. And they ask her, so when's going to be the date? And are you going to have a shower? And they, they take her out to lunch and they're so excited. And then they're with her all over the months as she's planning the wedding and she's getting their input on stuff and other friends and she's putting things on Instagram and everything's wonderful. And it's this excitement that leads up to this great event. When a woman gets asked by her boyfriend over the weekend to move in, what does she do on Monday morning? Oh, hey, Billy asked me to move in over the weekend. Oh, that's great. Here's some paperwork. Get started. I mean, what's the big deal? Oh, that's cool. You know, I'll, I can come help you move, but, but there is a, there's nothing beautiful about it. There's nothing, there's nothing majestic about it. It's just like, all right. I mean, you don't have a shower for people who move in together. You don't go, oh, I'm going to go get you so we go, you registered a Target for your cohabitation? Nobody does that. And why do they not do it? They don't do it because it's obvious. Like, we don't, there's nothing there. We don't know how many. Why would I want to buy them a blender? They could be split up in like six months. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing beautiful about it. There's nothing noble about it. It takes zero courage, zero imagination. It takes zero risk. It's nothing. And the reason I'm speaking this way to you is because this is the kind of stuff that no one ever talks about. And we, we hear this, we hear these lines and we're like, well, I guess it is just kind of like marriage. I mean, do you really need the government to say that you're in love? Do you really need the government to say? And that is just so backward and wrong. And so you, we need to understand, so when Jesus is talking to these guys, there is a foundation of permanence and commitment. Because when, if you're just living together with somebody, all you have is a blank canvas. You don't have anything resembling this picture that is coming together. And so let me give you several things that take courage when it comes to commitment. So you can understand that if you're married now, if you're contemplating marriage, that these are the things that you're walking into or these are the things that you've agreed to. And to maybe um, reignite your heart in this way or at least commit yourself to say as I'm moving forward, yes, I know it takes courage. I know it's but, but this is what I want to do because this is part of God's plan. So the first thing, when you commit to someone in marriage, it means, number one, you are forsaking all others. And that takes a certain amount of courage. You see, once you put that first stroke of paint on that canvas, and once you start painting that picture, you're cutting off all the other options that you have. This is exactly the opposite of where the Pharisees were at in their hearts when they were challenging Jesus. So when he says what God has joined together, don't try to separate that. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's holy, it's part of God's plan. You know how they respond. This is how they respond in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? So what are they trying to do? They're trying to trap him again and say they were appealing to Moses. Now appealing to Moses would be like appealing to, you know, Billy Graham or Martin Luther or some, somebody who is with spiritual authority over everyone in a sense, right? Well, he said it was okay. So why are you in disparity with Moses? Because he said it was okay to just give him a, like, give him a secret divorce and you're gone. So what do you have to say about that? And again, Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He said to them, this is it, guys. 
because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, he's going back to nature again. It wasn't supposed to be like that. It's not part of God's plan. God's plan is permanence. God's plan is commitment that requires courage, that requires exclusivity, that requires going back again and again and again. And that's the intent with a heart that says, just like the gospel tells us, I, I, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never do anything to, 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 uh, to break my promise to you. It's that same heart and you guys don't get it. You don't understand. It's all about rules and regulations and trying to get your way without facing any consequences. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now I know this part of the verse has been the one that caused all kinds of consternation in, for Christians and guilt and everything else because a lot of Christians will say, well, you know, I've been through a divorce and there wasn't really adultery. It's just, you know, we didn't get along and we split and it was 10 years ago or 5 years ago, whatever. Now I'm married to somebody else. And they'll carry this level of guilt because they'll see this verse and they'll say, does that mean I'm committing adultery? Now, and I, this is really hard one. To, I mean, we could do a whole sermon just on this. So let me try to be as brief and as clear as I can to clear up what I think are mis oftentimes misconceptions. The first thing is this, that we always look through everything through the lens of grace, okay? So where you are is where you are. You can't go back. So if you look back and you said, man, if I only known what I know now, I would have stayed in and tried to work that marriage out, fine. But you didn't know that, and God knew that you didn't know that. And God has you here, and you can't go back. So you rest always on the mercy of Jesus, and you, you just, you are where you are, okay? But the other thing is you have to remember is the context of what's happening. The guys he's talking to were always about rules. Everything was about how well they were following all the rules. And you can't remove that part of the context from the conversation. So when Jesus says, fine, if you guys do this and you give your wives a certificate of divorce like Moses said you could because your hearts are rotten and all you want to do is get rid of her because you're bored with her and you marry someone else and you think you're okay because Moses said it was okay, you're actually breaking another law which is adultery. You're actually committing adultery with this woman. So what he was trying to do was stick him by, by, by basically saying, you think you're getting off scot-free by doing this, but you're not. You're still breaking a rule. You're still breaking the law of God. Why? Because he was trying to show them that, that, they, that really, even though they were trying to do this legally right, there still was a problem, and the problem rested with their hearts because they weren't really committed to that person in the first place. So yeah, they were committed. Even though they got the piece of paper, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because their hearts were never committed in the first place, and they were basically wanting to go and sleep with someone else or marry someone else or whatever the case. Now that being said, we take marriage very, we want to hold it very highly here. We also understand, and we've talked about this in the cases of abuse, adultery, and abandonment. Those are the three that I've identified, and I think you can make an actual, absolutely scriptural case for this. And not automatically, but, but when those things are part of the equation. So if, if, if your spouse bails on you, if they're cheating on you, and they're not stopping, they're, they're just, they don't want to reconcile, I don't know what you do. You don't have much of a relationship there. But that doesn't mean that the minute that, someone, that one of these three things happens that you go, ooh, I'm out of here, because that shows that your heart wasn't in the right place either. And there's some, there's some Christians who, in order to save face with their Christian friends, will go, okay, well, you know what? You cheated on me. Sorry, I'm out of here. But you're almost secretly hoping that they would do something like that so it would justify you to get out of the marriage too because you weren't really committed to them either. 
There's all kinds of games that even Christians can play with each other. So that's why Jesus is going back, and that's what I'm saying, guys. You guys, don't, don't try to bring Jesus back into a list of rules and regulations because he was always about the heart. And what he was saying is, guys, from the beginning with nature, it was one man and one woman that God joined together, and they made one flesh. And that is supposed to be the plan. And, and so your heart is committed to that person. That's where you need to start. And you may have problems, and it may change, and it may be difficult, but you keep going back to that person. When Ryan's painting this canvas, it's not going to be perfect. Not every stroke he makes on that thing is going to be absolutely wonderful. He's going to go, oh, maybe I wish I would have done this a little better and that better, but I'm going to work on it and go back to it because I'm painting something. I'm making something that's unique and brilliant and beautiful. And Jesus is saying that's God's plan. So part of the courage of commitment means that you forsake all others. In other words, you may run into someone over the course of your marriage who's younger, hotter, richer, kinder, who understands you who connects with you in a way that you've just never felt connection to before. What do you have to say about that, Tim? Fine. Guess what? God has not joined you with that person. They don't belong to you, and you don't belong to them. I don't care how young and hot and rich and nice and sweet and understanding they are. They're not yours, and you're not theirs. So it's really easy well, I don't know what to do. Oh, I got it. It's really, you walk away. You run away. You run away and you don't look back. It's real simple. But I'm just so conflicted. Why are you conflicted? Do you have one of these? That means there's somebody else in your life that God has joined you with. That's your person. But you don't understand. Oh, I understand. God has not joined you with that other person. I don't understand what the problem is here. That, that, you me, that's the issue. So and th- these are the kinds of things that come up. And where, where's the problem? The problem isn't that God, you know, that somebody else came along that you're just kind of attracted to. I don't know what to do. The problem is you never valued the commitment. When you make that commitment, man, you put that pin on that canvas, that's it, baby. And by the way, you can put, I don't understand. But God, that was God's plan from the beginning. That's what God engineered. So in a broken and fallen and messed up world where you're with someone for potentially 50 years, do you not think that there may be times here and there throughout the course of all those decades that you might bump into somebody or run into somebody or work with somebody that has attractive qualities? Yeah. Hello. It's called being a human being. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's God leading you to this person. That's asinine. It's one thing for Christians, for non-Christians to do that. Let non-Christians do that all the time. They don't have any sense of commitment that's rooted in creation and nature and God. They just go, well, it's a contract. And, I'll, you know, maybe I may have made a promise, but hey, life is tough. But for Christians, what are you guys, what are we, what are we doing here? And I know there are difficult situations, and I'm not trying to be callous to those, but again, you're never hearing this side of it, guys. You're not hearing this side of it. So I have to say it especially stridently so you understand. This is why I say at every wedding, do you promise, when I do a wedding, I said, you promise to love, honor, comfort, and keep this person in health and in sickness, in adversity and in prosperity, and promise to keep them only unto yourself as long as you both shall live. So promise to keep them only. Promise to keep them only. Her only. Him 
only unto yourself, as long as you both shall live, if so say I do. So far I got a 100% record. They always say I do. They don't go, oh, well, if you put it like that. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to say that in the wedding. This big stuff. Again, I mentioned that, that reference, that book, um, uh, the Tim Keller book. And he has a whole chapter in it, and it's a brilliant book on uh, just, you can Google uh, Keller and then, and then marriage, and this book will come up, but he talks about loving the stranger. And he says, really, you know, th this person's going to change throughout the course of their life, just like you're going to change throughout the course of your life in different ways. And they may not be the same person they were at 21 or 25. They may be a stranger to you sometimes. But you love the stranger. You love someone. And you know the thing, I, as long as we're talking about this, I, I, it, it hit me in my marriage um, when I realized how utterly different, truly different my wife was from me. And I, and I just I just thought, you know, I mean, obviously she's a woman and everything. Um, that's a good thing. Um, but, but, you know, other than that, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I thought I knew her. And, and I, so when she wasn't doing things the way that I thought she should do them, I thought, well, she just needs to fix those things and then it'll be better, right? You know, she, I, I thought she needs, to do, she needs to see things more my way. So I would, and I didn't want to just come out and say that. So I'd have my little, you know, subtle ways of informing her and educating her as to the right way to see things at times. Because that was where I, the way I was when I was younger. And then it hit me one day. I went, no, no, she's just so radically different. She sees this world so incredibly different than I do, and it's not wrong. And then what I had to do is I had to receive that and accept that and even be changed and challenged by that. And I'm that was a, I, I, I don't know if it, those of you who've been through this, you understand, it was a watershed moment for me. Because I went, my goal is not to try to get her to see things more the way I see them. My goal is to learn how she sees things and, and love the way that she sees things and, and be blown away by the way that she sees things. You know, it was a remarkable development for me in my own personal life. And I had to learn that more than she did. She, I think, I already had that figured out. That kind of leads me to my second thing, though. The second aspect of commitment that requires courage is this, seeing it through to the very end. Now again, I want to just make a point. I have to say this as a disclaimer. This is not a sermon. There's not a single person here that should, that should feel d disqualified from this, okay? Because of the past. Because you all know, had a marriage or two marriages or three marriages, whatever. If you're here, you're here because God wants you to hear this message. And I'm talking about from this day forward, okay? We're not changing the past. But wherever you are, if you're single and you're going to get married, understand that it's a courageous commitment because the goal is that you see it through to the very end. And if you're married now, whatever your marital history was, whatever, if you're married now, that's the person that God wants you to see it through to the very end. Okay? That's a big deal. You know what that means? I, tell this, I, I always say this in premarital counseling and it kind of freaks the couple out, but then they think about the alternative. I say the goal of this whole relationship, the goal of what we're doing here, is that one of you will bury the other that one of you will stand at the graveside of the other. That one of you will be in tears mourning the other and their passing. Unless you both go at the same time, which is obviously a possibility too. But more often than not, right? More often than not, the person that you're sitting next to or you will be gone. 
And the weird thing about that is it's still part of God's plan. And the permanence that Jesus is talking about is reflected because, you see, Jesus says, when Jesus is talking about this, and this whole conversation, let what God is doing together, let not man separate. And then Jesus basically goes on to say, you know, if you, if you leave, you ditch this woman for no, for no reason or whatever, and you marry somebody else, you know, your heart's bad. It's like committing adultery. It basically is. And the disciples around here, they're hearing this, and they say actually in verse 10, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry at all. It's kind of a funny thing, too. He's like, they're going, man, if you put it that way. I mean, that's such a big commitment. Maybe it's better not to get married at all. And Jesus basically responds, we don't have time to get into it, but Jesus basically responds with, yeah, that's why there's some guys out there that are eunuchs, and they made themselves that way, which is probably a bad idea. Some, some guys are born that way, but not everybody can accept this. Not everyone, not everyone can accept this. <laughs> this is a great response. But even the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, you're serious about this permanence thing, this one man, one woman for life. They hadn't realized that their wife was someone that God wanted them to love throughout the changes of their lives. And Jesus says not everyone can really accept this, but it's in that where the treasure is found. And that's the crazy thing. It's not in the sparks. It's not in the fireworks. It's not in the craziness. It's not in the, oh, I remember back 20 years ago. No, it's in the commitment itself where the greatest treasure and beauty is found. It is in the fact that even though it wasn't perfect, even though we had difficulties, we stayed together. And so when we get to the end, we have, we have a portrait, and that's the one that God wanted us to paint, and that's the picture God wanted us to have. And it's ours, and it's forever, and we always have it, and it's between us, and no one can ever take that away. And is there a beauty in that? Cal Thomas, who is America's most widely syndicated op-ed columnist, recently lost his wife of 51 years. Last month, or I think this month. And he wrote an article called, Men, Love Your Wives Before They're Gone. And in it, he writes this. On the day of her passing, I posted this thought on my Facebook page, Men, love your wives. Don't wait until they're about to be taken from you before you realize what they have contributed to your life. Love them now so you have no regrets at the end. I am glad my wife, as she prepares to meet her Savior, has known of my love for her and how valuable she has been to me. Have you told yours that? Love today is seen as a feeling But real love is a commitment, a covenant. That's why most of us take marriage vows instead of make promises. It's everything we've been talking about. Those who were fortunate enough to know Ray knew a strong woman where strength really counts. She knew who she was and wasn't defined by the value system applied by the world which regards fame, money, and political power as supreme. To love And to be loved by someone like that for so long is a gift of great value. In another part of the article, he writes, She used to tease me after a long-forgotten argument, saying, You'll miss me when I'm gone. She was right. I do. Donald Miller, 
in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, wrote about a dear friend of his who had lost his wife to cancer after them being married for many, many years. He attended the memorial service, and the husband got up and read a poem, an excerpt from a poem that said this, She was my north, my south, my east and west, my working week and my Sunday rest, my noon, my, day, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. And Miller goes on to write in his book that as he watched that and he saw his friend grieving, he realized there was a level of love and commitment that you can't get unless you're there that long with the person. And he was writing as a single 30-something man and he said that's, that's a... That's an experience I can't, I can't understand. I knew, he said, I knew I was looking at a dimension of life that was foreign to me. That there was something about the love that that man had for her that I can't understand. Because it was in the commitment and it was in the years invested. It was in the time that made the loss so bitter. And yet at the same time, so impactful, and so meaningful. And yet even that is God's plan. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? That God's plan, God knew. But God wanted us to invest so deeply with a person and to have the courage of commitment and to not want to be one of these people who it sounds so easy and so good to just say, yeah, I don't want to get too close to anybody. I don't need that. But to actually give yourself to the other person in such a way that they may be taken from you. But that's okay because you have this. So as we close out this series, man, good job. Um, Do you have the courage to forsake all others? Or is there stuff going on in your head? You on the internet when she's not looking? You're talking to someone from high school. Like they're the solution to your problem. You uh, spending too much time chit-chatting with a dude at work who thinks you're so great, loves your clothes. Really? Have you really forsaken all others? Have you really said, billions of other people, oh well, oh well. And are you committed to the very end? Whatever that costs, whatever that means. Because if you are, you'll end up with something like this. You're, uh, you have the opportunity to own one of these, by the way. We're selling them. So um, all of the proceeds we've decided at Ryan's request will go towards sending our students to summer camp. So if you'd like to help out sending a student to summer camp, you can buy a painting, make an offer, 
uh, all reasonable offers will be considered. And uh, so let us know and you can have that hanging in your wall. And you may want to do that as a, what a beautiful reminder to hang in your home of your commitment together. What a cool story to be able to tell people when they come over. So think about it. Maybe a piece of art that you want to buy. Goodyear is not necessarily known as the mecca of art, but it is now because we got this guy right here. So, Are you committed to making this, your marriage, the best painting it could possibly be? Finally, the first commitment that any one of us should make is giving our hearts to God because he gave everything to us. And I'm telling you, some of you guys have been, you've just been like riding the fence, you know. You're showing up. And you're like, yeah, you know, I don't want to give up my old life. Like your old, like, or I don't want to give up my current life. Like your current life's all that great, right? Like it's really something that's going to be so hard to give up if you follow Jesus. Because in him is forgiveness. In him is peace. In him is joy. And to come to the cross and say, God, I got nothing to offer you. Man, I've blown it. I've got, I got marriages that I've failed in. I've got all kinds of stuff. I mean, you hear Roger's testimony. I got all kinds of stuff in my life. God, I, if you'll have me, then please take my life. Take my life. Restore me. Forgive me. If you've already made that decision to become a Christian, but maybe you're just not really understanding what commitment is, maybe this is your chance to repent as well. Go back to your spouse and say, listen, honey, you got, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. You may be more deeply flawed than you'd ever, ever dare to admit, but I love you and accept you more than you'll ever dare to hope. Wow. Let's pray together. God, you are the source of everything. And for those here today who have not known you, who do not know you, I would ask that right where they are, if they're ready to receive you as their Savior, they would cry out to you in their hearts and just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've failed. I know I've fallen. I know I have not lived up to this standard. I know I have not lived up to your intention for anything, including relationships. But God, I want to start now. And I want to start with you. So I ask that you would come into my heart, that you'd cleanse me and change me, that you'd forgive me, that you'd be my Savior, that I would know you, that I'd have the hope of heaven, the hope of new life, the hope of cleansing, the hope of starting over. Do with me what you did with Roger. Do with me what you've done with so many who come to you broken. God, for the rest of us who've made that decision to follow you, but we need to recommit our lives to our spouses. God, give us the courage to have those conversations, to not give up, to do whatever it takes, to do the counseling, to spend the money, to take the time to, to, to quit the activities that are that are just making us so busy and not giving us what we need, the time that we need to invest in each other. God, open our eyes so we could do whatever it takes so we could fulfill your purpose for us.
in our marriages. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.